Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lulu, the momatrician. How is everyone doing out there? You know what? If you're feeling good, give me an amen, hallelujah, in your car where you are. I can hear you, I promise. All right, other than that, if you're not driving, then just give an amen, hallelujah, anyway, because today we have another wonderful guest who is going to talk about her story of, should I call it struggle and conquering depression and not one, not two, but three suicide attempts. She's going to paint a picture of victory as far as I'm concerned. But also she mentioned the last time we spoke that there is no look to suicidal behavior, but there is a face. I thought that was a very deep, deep quote. Her name is Sydney. I'm not going to say her last name because I don't want to say it wrong and I forgot to ask her how to say it, but hopefully she will say it if she wants to. She's currently a student of business administration. She was diagnosed with depression at the age of 19. And she says that for about three years of her life, she had something she calls a stress memory block because she actually completely doesn't remember or didn't remember about three years of her life. Somewhere along the line, there was a lot of negative belief system. There was a toxic environment and there was hopelessness. There were suicide attempts, but she's here. She's here. And today she helps people. And that is critical. I put that in asterisks the last time we spoke. She's here because she helps people. She's also quick to tell us that suicide is real, is a real thing is not a joke. So, Miss Sydney, thank you so much. Without further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much for joining us, Miss Sydney. All right, take it away, ma'am. Okay, uh, my name is Sydney Ann Smooch, and like she said, when I was 19 years old, that was the pivotal point of my depression. That was actually not my first depression that I ever happened, but that happened in my life. But it was the depression that changed my life, changed the way my whole family operates, changed the way I see, perceive the world, and truly has become a blessing into my life in disguise. I definitely didn't see that when it first happened. Um, One of the biggest things is that when depression occurred for my life, it was more of a halt into everything I was doing. I was a presidential scholar at Paul Quinn College. I just joined Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. I, it's such a small college of 500 students. Everybody knew my name. So I didn't look like the type of person that would have depression. However, my life was crumbling and I didn't realize how bad it was. I was trying to control every situation I possibly could. I tried to keep my grades up and I just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. And I I woke up one morning in my 
I can't remember the name of the car. I'm pretty sure it was a Volvo. And I was literally sleeping in my Volvo at a Best Buy in Dallas. And I had a place to stay not only at my dorm, but I also had a place to stay at my own home. But I couldn't remember why I went to Best Buy. I couldn't remember why I was in my car. I called up my mom and I told her, like, this is what's going on. I don't know how to get home. I'm sporadically crying. She calls the dean of students, was worried about where I was, and I somehow found my way back home to Paul Quinn College, and that was the pivotal point, as I said before, that I knew something was wrong. Um, the logical thinking wasn't there. Now, the suicide attempt, you know, um, that was a lot of my thought process, and honestly, the more that people tried to help me out of depression, tried to support me, tried to, you know, um, bring me to a uh, psychologist to give me medication, the more the suicide thoughts appeared. And it's not because people weren't trying to help me because they weren't loving me. It was because of how much shame and guilt I felt for being so worthless that mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out my own situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I, at the time, I couldn't put that into words, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things is when people talk about depression, they talk about it as if like, you know, the type of feelings that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, a lot of us haven't been taught how to recognize emotions and not alone, just recognize it, be able to express those emotions. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know I was feeling worthlessness, shame, guilt. All I knew was there was so much pain in my chest that I personally, I was exhausted. I didn't want anybody to look at me for how much shame mm. was there. I couldn't make eye contact. My whole body posture changed. Mm. It was forward. And I was, I've always been a crier, but there was a lot of crying, oh. consistent crying. And I just couldn't put words onto it. And no matter how hard I tried to explain my truth, I honestly didn't even know why I was in depression. I didn't even know why I was having the suicidal thoughts. That's what I was going to ask you worse. next. And that's what I was going to ask you next. That maybe was it like a family history of it, or was it something that happened? I mean, not that you need something to happen, but I'm just, or was it like endogenous depression, which means it's like it's just there. Um, I I believe the high performance I was when I was at college um, really did it for me because I didn't feel like I belonged there in the first place. Um, I just told myself like, you know, oh, I cheated a couple of times in an English class. I suck at writing and I don't belong at this institution because so many people are way better than me, even the mm -hmm. ones that aren't um, a presidential scholar. So I felt crappy for having that and but that's then funny because on, you are a presidential scholar that is not yeah, huh. to achieve 
And yet you had the NES, not enough syndrome. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but I can look back and I actually just went over this this weekend where I could look back into my childhood and I was looking for the reason why I was so craving for success is because I wanted affirmation from other people and I wanted people to tell me a good job. And it seemed like the only time I would get that is when people would tell me like, Oh, you got to a on a test. That's great. But they're instinctively, I always felt like it wasn't good enough. I always felt as if like, and I believe that I wasn't good enough because there wasn't the emotion that I was searching for, right? Like I wanted emotional love connection, not just so I can get a test right and struggle my way and truly like um, be successful. I'm actually reteaching myself what the success looks like for me, right? It's not just passing a test. It's not being the one that everybody sees. It's a part of me being proud of me, but I couldn't even be proud of me because I never felt like I was good enough. And it remember just, what you was so on? I'm sorry, remember yeah. what you mentioned earlier? You mentioned that there was irrational thinking. That is part of that. Oh, yeah. Because you're a presidential scholar on the one hand, which I don't know how many people I can count in one hand that are presidential scholars that I know. And yet, on the other hand, you did not feel like you were good enough. You did not feel, you know what I mean? Like it's just the two things don't add up. I was like that. I was a successful doctor, lieutenant colonel, mother of three. I mean, quote unquote, maybe rich, but maybe comfortable. Maybe not rich, but maybe comfortable. Three cars, walking closets, shoes, bags. But I still felt like I was a failure, you know? So sometimes, you know, people put all those things and say, oh, girl, you, you have no business. But it's not, that's not what I needed. I just needed something I couldn't even put my hand on. And that's why when someone yeah. went through depression, you might be very, very careful what you're saying. Because I'd rather you don't say anything than say the wrong thing. Because a lot of times it yeah. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Anthony Bourdain, who everyone envied his job, or Kate Spade, or Robin Williams. It doesn't make sense, but it happened because a lot of times it doesn't make sense. But that doesn't nope. mean that the feeling is, is less there. You know what I mean? Like it's still there. So, and on top of that, too, yeah. is so I took in a Strength Finders test, and in that, I am like a highly relationship person. Just like that's what I'm great at is talking to people and connecting. But I couldn't do that. Like, I always felt like I couldn't communicate. I always felt like I was the outcast. So a part of the reason why it was so bizarre that somebody so successful could, you know, go through depression, and then try to commit suicide when on the outside looking in, everybody loves her and et cetera. It was a part of it that I wasn't fulfilling a need of mine to yes. be a highly connection relationship person, right? And then even on top of that, when if you want to talk about love languages, uh, mine, mine is words of affirmation and physical connection, like physical touch. And my parents aren't that way, right? Which oh there's nothing God. wrong with that. But the things that I needed, right? Were you born on March 11? <laughs> Were you born on March 11, 1969? Because <laughs> that's my birthday. And my love languages are words of affirmation and touch. 
And I'm a yeah. highly relationship person and I, <laughs> I love to connect. That's amazing. That's awesome. What's so, and when you don't have that, right, no matter how much success you have, there's yeah. still a part of you that's missing that wants to feel like you're connected to something greater to yourself. And you can't explain that. You don't know that. You just know that something's missing. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. Wow. So just kind of moving on from the diagnosis of, because you were eventually diagnosed at 19. Is that what you said earlier on? Yes, ma'am. So you were eventually diagnosed at 19. Now, between 19 and 21, you had three attempts after your diagnosis. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Yeah. And that's because you said the more they try to help you, the more you felt. So he said, is that, is that kind of about the same time? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's just because the amount of shame and guilt that you feel for being that way, for you know, not knowing how you feel, not knowing how to explain it. And the more that you don't know how to explain it, other people are just giving you solutions. And you're like, it's not that simple. Because truly, in your mind, it's not that simple. Now, the more you're able to, un for me at least, to understand family dynamics, to understand why I feel the way I do, to understand... um what human connection actually means, the better that you can get out of depression. Um, I, I don't know where I was going along with this. Um, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I totally That's lost me. my train of thought. You must be my twin. You must I, be my twin. <laughs> That's me. I start going. I'm like, wait, where was I going now? And then, <laughs> what my, was the end point? And then my, my wife was just looking at me. You were going to the mall? And I'm like, yeah, okay, we're going to the mall. <laughs> Because I'd be like, what, what, what was I saying? Why was I saying that? We don't know. We're not yet. <laughs> it's like, maybe you were going great. <laughs> wow. But you know what? You know what? Even the words that, you're, that are unsaid, we still hear. We hear your heart. We hear your passion. We hear the pain mm -hmm. you've been through. Even to this, to this moment, you're still having some difficulty articulating it. And oh, that, yeah. with that just showed up just now. You know, like, where, where was I going with that? And that's fine. That's completely fine. Well, we could change. We can change. Um, we can turn the page a little bit and, and look at um, a couple more people, a couple more things. Can you say a little bit more? Can you tell me a little bit more about the triad of negative belief system, toxic environment, and hopelessness you touched on during our our um, ice um, session? So negative belief system. So from the outside looking in, a lot of the time when people talk. About about it, it's like I'm not enough I'm worthless yeah I'm hopeless there's no um really no hope in all these things truly that was the I would say the epitome what defined me as human because I'm always just saying I'm not I don't have self-esteem I don't have confidence so when people looked at me they're like yeah you do what are you talking about and I would try to communicate that to people and what I, what people were dismissing was my truth. You know what I'm saying? I'm going I'm to say that again. I really like that. What people were dismissing <laughs> was I'm, my truth. I'm about to write that down as a quote. Yes. Yes. Was my truth because the thing was, that's what I believed. It's not because that's what other people believe, but that's what I saw. Because when you really look into the brain, we get to perceive the world the way we, way we believe it. So if I believe I'm not confident, all I'm seeing are people who say the negative things, right? 
Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing it as, oh, I'm just looking for negative things. I'm literally just seeing my failures, right? Or what I perceive as failures. And that's just constantly replaying in my head. It's not because I'm just wanting to be that way or I'm just wanting to be negative. It's like I'm literally operating in this pattern that that's what I believe how life was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm even at this point now being 24 years old and having to change this paradigm in my mind of there's always challenges, everything is always hard to things can be easy. Things, yeah, there's challenges, but there's endless possibilities and endless options. And because of those, that gives hope and meaning and all these things. But I've had to completely shift my paradigm and my thought pattern to be able to see that. It's not, I really want people who are going through depression or suicide, it's like when you're in it, you're in it. And it doesn't seem like there's no other way. And the longer you're in it, I hate to say, like, the worst it seems to get because that's all you're seeing is the pain. Absolutely. That is true. Absolutely. That is true. The longer you're in it, the worse. And the harder it is almost to come out, you know, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then on top of that too, is people want to listen to you, but so many of us aren't trained to do that, that we literally put our own crap on somebody else who's trying to be vulnerable and trying to get help. And because of that, the person, and I extremely empathic, I can just feel it where it's like you feel others pain and then you collect it as your own and in true, in truth like that was never for you to grab and on top of that just because somebody has quote unquote gone through worse pain than you right because for some reason our society is always in competition like because they've gone to worse pain than you now you feel guilty and shame for feeling this way but at the end of the day we all have different emotional needs that need to be met and if they weren't met no matter how great our parents were you know it's going to make you feel some type of way, right? And because I have amazing And also parents. different coping skills, different coping skills. Yes. So, yes, you're right. It, it, we're not only different emotional needs, but also different coping skills. And I thought that's where you were going because that's similar. Just because I'm going to say the loss of my, I'm just going to use something simple as my cat. Just because when you lost your uh-huh. cat, you were fine. doesn't mean that when I lose my cat, I'm not allowed to grieve for two weeks or a month, whatever, because I am different from you. And actually just listening to you now, I'm hearing that you had a lot, you had a lot of stress. You pledged a sorority. You were a straight A student all the way to presidential scholarship. That is stress because in your mind, you need to stay, you need to stay with the grades that reflect being a presidential scholar. You know what I mean? Like, so in a way I, I can hear how, all of those are confounding stress. Now, somebody else would say, I can't believe that's, that's the stress. Well, that is my stress. Now, you, on the yeah. other hand, might be an orphan from the projects, and that is your own stress. But that doesn't mean make my stress less or make me I have to react differently because my stress is on some kind of different scale than yours. You know what I mean? To yeah. each of us, our stress affects us how it affects us. And you're right. The world is constantly in competition. Just look at Facebook. Everybody has to have, oh. the, you know, happy posts. Nobody's sad on Facebook. No one. Is that possible? No. No, at all. Wow. Um, 
but I wanted to also put on that where, um, shoot, I had something pretty profound. Oh, oh, um, yeah. When I was, so the typical, like a starter age for anxiety is 11. I was nine years old and I had my first ulcer in my stomach. Wow. Um, I was extremely anxious. And so I didn't only bring, you know, this panic state to throughout my entire, like my entire life and including college, that doesn't include the fact that I had undiagnosed ADD. Um, I had undiagnosed seasonal depression. And then on top of that too, is I had dyslexia. So yeah, I was doing these great successes, but I had a lot of things underneath I didn't understand. Yeah. And on top of that, with having ADD, you could feel dumb. You can feel like you're not normal because of the fact that your brain works differently. You see the world differently. And all I've ever wanted was just to be normal. And now you've given me a diagnosis, another diagnosis, which I feel shameful of because of the fact of I never got to control that. You know, I never got to control the fact that this is my DNA and now I have ADD, even though I've had it my entire life. Now I have it. Now it's truly something I almost used as a crutch to dislike myself. Mm. So I didn't have to deal with the issues. Oh, well, I have ADD, so I'm dumb. Mm. Right. So, and I'm always looking for that affirmation, a reformate, like it's not affirmate. I know typically people think of affirmations as a good thing, but you can almost, I would say an affirmation and a negative where it was like, I unintentionally was looking for ways that I felt stupid right? Like I have this story where I know other people are going to laugh at, but it's so true. We went to see, um, what is the Cinderella's? Uh, um, what is the, what is the cartoon movie? Let it go. Um, frozen. Yeah. Frozen. So frozen came right out when, um, I first started to have depression and I can remember it in my mind. Olaf having like an, uh, not glass, what is it, um, ice in his chest, and he's like, oh, look, I'm impaled, right, mm. and he's giggling, and my mom's laughing, and I felt like crap, like, I felt so ashamed, because I didn't know what that meant, and it was like a reaffirm of how stupid I was, and it was like, man, this is a cartoon movie, if this movie has such, you know, a simple word, right, then like, I I must be dumb. (laughs) And so a lot of the time when I see people talking about other people looking to reaffirm a part of themselves they dislike and almost saying it like a negative way, it's not like I was intentionally doing that. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just came, it um, manifested in myself. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm dumb. Like, and so profound, I still remember it to this day. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And it's been three to four years. But that moment always pops into my head when I feel like I'm stupid. Like, oh, you can't remember that? Like, um, I just, ah, like, I really just want people to understand. It's not like when you're in depression, you just want to be sad. You just want to feel stupid. You just want to feel this way. Like, I was trying so hard the ways I knew how to get out of depression but my body was like we can no longer be this way 
we can no longer do it, right? Like, I believe your body communicates to you. Mm -hmm. And when depression truly hits the tiredness and everything, it's like something needs to change, right? And the more you try to fight it, and the more the suicide thoughts come, it's partially because of the fact that you're fighting against your body telling you it's time to change. Um, truly, when I started to change my perception of my reality, change how not only saw relationships, myself, fear is when I am now becoming this happy-go-lucky person. It's not just putting affirmations on you and just being like, here you go, be happy. Like, if you have these negative belief systems and these things that hit you so hard, it, it goes in deep. Like, it goes so deep within you that your body's telling you it's time to change. And so um, I don't know if you want to do a segment into suicide, but truly, the more that I fought against my body, the more I tried to use my no normal coping mechanisms of um, food. Food was a big one for me. I used to be 150 pounds, and I went to 185 pounds, lost it, went to 203 pounds, and now I'm back to 160. And food was a big crutch for me. I tried alcohol. I tried, uh, that was a new one. I tried smoking for a little bit. That was a new one. Uh, for me, um, sexual relationships was a big one. And all these things weren't filling what was missing within me. And because I tried to use the same things I've always used, my body just kept fighting against that. And that's where the food, well, the toxic relationships made me isolate even more than the food made it to where I, I already had a lot of stress, so I couldn't think. I already had depression, which a symptom of that I feel like a lot of people don't know is feeling stupid. Um, and then on top of that, having it to where um, I was working as a CNA at the time and uh, winter time just occurred and I felt like I was just being reaffirmed consistently how dumb I was and I didn't understand ADD at the time I didn't understand how that worked and it just hit me like a bunch of bricks of how stupid I was my patients would consistently I feel like they would look at me like that and I was supposed to be helping them but I was sporadic I didn't know what a like a, a dish cloth was called. I never thought of the importance of remembering that and just watching into people's eyes of how like dumb I felt and how much they reaffirmed it. Um, honestly, was one of the main reasons, the third attempt of why I tried to take my life. And that was the time that I truly wanted to be gone. Because the pain was too is much. Fair, is it also fair to add, just from listening to you, that did everyone really purposely say to you that you're dumb, or was it in your mind? I'm just trying to make sure. Because oh, it was in my mind. That your patients, okay, reaffirmed it. Because I was like, I don't know that your patients will reaffirm it. I don't know that. Because um, when, when someone is sick and in the hospital, they're just so happy 
to see their nurse. They just, you know what I mean? They're just so happy to have someone come and be, you know, there for them at their lowest point. So yeah, it's it's important that the guests yeah. hear that it's most of them was part of the was part of the depression and anxiety and ADHD and seasonal depression. All of that in one person's mind is like just constantly churning and screaming and all kinds of things going on in your head. So did you end up getting medication, therapy? What what ended up happening? So I started off with medication. Before now, now. so at 21 you had an attempt, but how did that happen? I mean, how did you um, come get to here, to where you are now at 24? Okay. Um, So when I was 19, I was given medication and I basically like fought with my parents to be on medication. Um, And it was, I would like to say, the summer of 2015, um, maybe a little bit before that, I got off the medication. I was like, I'm not taking it. And things got better, right? Then um, seasonal depression occurred. They tried to get me back on it. And I was like, no, not doing it. Um, so I, I can't fully, this is also me can't, fully remember the three years of my life in a timeline um I really can't like remember when I was fully on it and when I wasn't but I just know that for me the first big step was turning after the third suicide attempt being in my car being like I don't want to die and I, I was driving in the middle of the night um, after taking a lot of uh, Vyvanse and really just trying to eat it, eat it um, completely, like all my medication in one, um, one bottle. One time, yeah. Yeah, one bottle. I was trying to take all of that. Cause, and then on top of that, I just put it in a bag and I was like, okay, well, the pill can't like, they can't pump the pills out of me. So they could fully absorb in me, right? So I ate like half of it. I went to the hospital and um, was telling my nurse, I was like, I don't have a brain. Like, I just feel so dumb. And mm. like, she she just, she let me go, right? Like, my mom still to this day doesn't understand why they let me go. I know, um, right? But I, yeah, I walked out of the hospital. Um, I had makeup on my face. And... Somebody could have told me that there was makeup on my face, but nobody did. And I go in my car and I'm like, why didn't nobody tell me? Like, you know, and I washed it off and I felt the shame. And um, I can't remember the time frame, but I left for a month and I just put everything in my car and just left. I didn't contact nobody, anything. And during that time, I will just say it's the first real realization that I had that changed the, my course of who I am was I realized while I think I was in Virginia going into a hotel and I looked into the guy's eyes, eyes I'm like 180 pounds um, at least. And he's just giving me my key. And I just, just like had this realization, oh, you can't see I'm in pain. Yeah. 
you can't see them in pain. Mm-hmm. Like you're just treating this like a normal transaction. Like you literally can't see it. Yeah. I'm the only one that can see it. Even though I feel disgusting, even though I feel this way, nobody, and some people can tell like I'm in distress, but for other people, I'm just another person. Yeah. And I'm just going into the hotel. And I really believe that was just the turning point of like, that's like, I'm going to have to do the work. Mm. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know where to start. I know I've been running away from this for a really long time and I've gone to, you know, three other therapists, but something has to change. And Mm. it took maybe another four to six months for um, other things to happen to where my mom went to New York and she brought me with her. My baby nephew was only like three to four months, uh, four, three to four months old, not even probably a lot younger than that. And my sister saw I had a connection with him and she moved me, um, she moved me into her house and I lived with her for nine months. And while, you know, uh, taking care of my nephew, I literally got to the point of, I knew what love meant again, Hmm. um, which I didn't think I could feel right when you you feel all the negative feelings you didn't know you could feel that on top of that um I had somewhere else to go where my brother-in-law he was uh he still is a uh like cartoon animator he's extremely goofy um I was just able to find a part of myself that I didn't know I was missing right Mm -hmm. the goofiness I was always serious I was always taking things so serious. I didn't know how to have fun. And I moved there. I was just able to be a part of me that I missed um, because I wasn't trying to please people. I was just being myself. And um, that just, it's just like a ripple effect after that. I went to therapy. My life changed there. I went through other couple of relationships where um, I just went through a period of dating and having you know, fun, even though I still felt like crap. Just, yeah, like, just being a, a young adult. Yeah, yeah. and figuring mm-hmm. out life. And then mm-hmm. I met a man named Luis. Uh, he was from Brazil. We were dating for three months. And he was honestly a big pivotal point because he was such a caretaker. And it was like all these toxic relationships have been in the past somebody who cared. Now he wasn't the perfect fit by any means. Um, he's a little bit too methodical, logical, uh, and I'm more free spirited. So it didn't quite fit. And, you know, things happened to where we couldn't be together, but his kindness and his ability just to see me for me yes. truly helped. Oh, and wow. then on top of that. So after I was heartbroken with that, I was just like, okay, I'm done right? I'm done with relationships, just going to focus on school, whatever, I can't do it. Um, And I think this is what people call a level of like surrender to, oh, I need this. I was like, I don't need it, right? Mm -hmm. I can live my life. I can go have a good time. I had a couple girlfriends at the time. And um, then three months later, I met my now boyfriend. We're almost together for two years. And he's helps change my life not because 
he tried to fix me or told me how to live my life, but he gave me almost the permission to, and the safe place to find myself. And now two years in, um, it's a beautiful relationship. I am now, I feel like the last six months have been the most pivotal part after shamanic breath work and really getting into the um, trauma I face and allowing it to not only, you know, understand what I went through, but also to let it out, release it, and then start changing my belief system. And there's just a lot to it, right? It's just not, you know, one thing, um, because life works like that. But just a lot has happened in the last year that has changed my negative belief system that we talked about before, has made me fall in love with myself has made me realize that I live in a state of panic because of my anxiety. And because of that, I'm not able to um, not operate from a level, a mindset of perfectionism. I'm operating, you know, trying to please everybody, trying to, um, trying to find happiness outside of me rather than just being okay with who I am. And honestly, I didn't know who I, I was. You know, I've taken personality tests before, but I finally took personality tests, uh, the strength finders, and I have a great life coach where she really just sit down with me and is able to be like, oh yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm a highly relationship person. I'm a highly influencing person. I'm not a high executor. I'm not like, a, um, I'm also a high strategist, but like, I'm also not, I don't think I'm main influencing. I'm main strategy and main relationship. But like, I'm able to see like, oh, other people operate in this. So I shouldn't feel bad for not having that, right? Like focus is my like least strength. And my entire life, I've just tried to focus and tried to have control. In reality, I'm a creative person. And being highly creative, I do zone out. I create things randomly, not on purposely. Like this is what I operate in. And then on top of that, like people have always called me a fixer and almost putting a negative connotation on it. And truly now, because I love myself, I'm able to help people find themselves and love themselves. It's not operating no more from judgment. Yes, ma'am. I knew you were going to get there because everything you've gone through, everything you've told us, has essentially brought you here. I mean, all the self-loathing, all the self-hatred, all the negative things you said to yourself. Now you're able to see, hopefully, that when someone is going down that route, you will be ready. You will know. You, you will tell them you walk the exact same walk. And that exactly is what I want to come out of this, um, this my podcast. Wow. Thank you so much. The other thing I was going to ask you is, do you have any favorite quotes do you have any and you know what congratulations on the relationship indeed when you get the right one you get the right one you know i I pray i pray the best for the two of you and i hope you know it ends up in wedding bells if you want it was if it was meant to be and if you invite me i shall come but um do you have any favorite phrase do you have any parting words because i know i want you to come back because it sounds like there's a lot there's a lot that we didn't even touch. Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that we didn't touch yet. And there's only so much time. 
So certainly I would like some parting words for now. Favorite quote, favorite book you read, favorite one thing or the other, or just advice for those people who may not get the opportunity to meet with you and, you know, learn firsthand from you. What advice do you have um, for them? Um, the biggest thing is just because other people can't see your pain, like they can't see it, it doesn't mean it's not real. And that also doesn't mean what you're telling people is your pain is the true pain. Because a lot of the time we live life and we think all the problems that we have are the, the center of why we're having trouble in life. But truly, it can go way deeper than that, from trauma to negative belief systems and so much more. And that is just from my personal experience. Wow. From the mouth of babes, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. She's only 24 years old and she's so full of wisdom but you know all that wisdom came from pain pain indeed those who are physical therapists will tell yeah. you, you know, who are personal tra trainers will tell you that you have to beat up your muscles you have to cause pain in your muscles for them to get reshaped and get that nice tone and all that and that's what's going on with her she's she's come a long way she's had she's had a rough 24 years of life but I think she's here to, to attest to the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's yes. a good place to start, to stop today. Um, are you an entrepreneur? Do you have like a coaching business? Is there anything, you know, any place we can find you, the listeners can find you on social media? Do you have like a So I'm actually currently, uh, I'm sorry. I'm actually currently working on the genuine ones as my own company Yes. And really helping people who have anxiety and depression find their true self. And my first step into doing that is giving people an avenue to use the arts to supplement, you know, um, therapy, art therapy and music therapy if people can't afford it. And that's the first step. There's a lot more to it, but that's my goal. And the next year is to really kick off helping people in the ways that I know help me to tap into my emotions, which is the first step to recovery. Amen. So. Amen. So it's called the genuine ones. You have heard it from the horse's mouth. We're going to be on the lookout for you. And I just know you're going to do great things. You're so young and so insightful. And the things you said today, I'm like, oh, she's only, I have to keep reminding myself that she's only 24. She's only 20. That's about half my age. <laughs> and so that's amazing. You've come, you've come from a place of truth, obviously. There's no doubt. And a place of yeah. a lot of pain. But you know what? It's all good because you're winning as far as I'm concerned. So ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Lulu. This is Suicide Pages, the podcast. This is what I do. I try to highlight stories and try to put those stories in your ear so you can hear that you're not alone. Ultimately, the not enough syndrome is very catchy. It's out there. It's everywhere. But we're not all going to fall prey by the grace of God. So Miss Sydney, I cannot wait for you to call back. And let's talk again. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm going to say ciao, Bella. Miss Sydney, do you have any parting words for today? You think you said everything? I think I said everything. I hope you guys have a great and blessed day. And if you are not feeling okay, that's okay. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. And that, my friends, 
With that, writer, my friends, we come to the end of today's episode, a.k.a. Sydney's page on our book called Suicide Pages. Thank you all so much. Ciao, Bella. I'll see you guys soon.